This is Melissa Richardson Banks. Welcome to Mused LA to You. This is a podcast dedicated to the idea of the literal and figurative journey between Los Angeles and Houston, where I live uh, in LA for 25 years and Houston now for the past four. And I have a really great guest today, someone that I met who actually uh, took a journey of his own when I met him and is doing some really wonderful things. My guest today is Tommy Gregory. Tommy, are you on? I'm here. Thank you so much. Oh, great. So, Tommy, uh, you're an artist and a curator, and you were just sharing with me, very similar to me, and that you have a, maybe you're bi-coastal, if you will, because you're Gulf Coast and West Coast now, correct? Yeah, I still have a pretty good presence in Houston, uh, uh, and um, based primarily here in Seattle. So, I feel like I'm definitely bi-coastal, Houston and Seattle-based artist and curator. And you, along with your wife, uh, artist and writer Casey Arguez Gregory, and your adorable, precocious seven-year-old daughter Clementine, who I just shared with you recently, I thought she was—I couldn't believe she was just seven. You now live in Seattle, but you're back and forth between here and uh, it, uh, as well. And um, well, not as back and forth as we'd like, thanks to the coronavirus. But yes, uh, de- definitely um, still have pretty solid roots in Houston, and um, but we are loving Seattle and making the best of, uh, of a beautiful place during the COVID-19 era. I'm glad to, I've been, um, well, I met you right, I guess, right before you, I, right, literally probably a week or two before you guys moved. We were just talking about that the other day, 2018? Yeah, yeah, we, we met basically a week and a half before I moved, but I'm uh, so glad we kept in touch and, uh, you know, it's a, it was a crazy time when we were leaving. It's a crazy time now. Oh, yeah, and I remember. So when we first met, we were introduced by Volker Eisler from the ArtScan Gallery, and I know he was your partner and collaborator on a, on a project that I was introduced to when I first moved to Houston in 2016. You, I didn't realize that was the first year. Uh, it was Sculpture Month Houston. And uh, tell oh, me a little bit about the, that. It was, yeah, yeah, it was actually the, it was the second part of the biennial. So we started the first year in 2016, and then the, uh, yeah, we met on, it was basically the biggest one to, uh, you know, we hope they would get bigger, of course, but it was, uh, yeah, 2018 was the second part of that biannual, and then this year, 2020, was supposed to be, but I don't know because of the coronavirus, if, uh, what what the, the future of that uh, Houston Sculpture Month program should or might end up becoming. And now, how timely would it be now? I mean, the idea that people are looking for things to do and to, to get out in the cars and to go out and be safe, but to see art. So I really hope that it comes back in some form or fashion. That is something interesting with public art is we're in a time where museums, for the most part, are limited capacity or closed. Galleries are limited capacity or closed. And public art right now is at its most important time, in my opinion, is it's something where you could drive by it. It's something you, where you could wear your mask and walk and see it and uh, have social distance uh, in mind, but also get some visual culture. Kind of prophetically, you the last show that I saw that you did here in Houston was earlier this year. I saw it, I think, on the last day that it was uh, on view, and it was called Everything Lasts Forever, um, which I think, as I looked at the show, was really tongue-in-cheek and because of the idea that it had so many different elements in it. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. I know that body of work was a series of cast bronze sculptures, and among them were, won't you roll, the, roll it over to you now? Tell me a little bit about the pieces, and did they indeed last forever? 
well taking taking um, objects in that are destined for the landfill or in a lot of those cases from the condom wrappers or the it's not condom wrappers but the, the condoms that are still enclosed these were kind of single use objects and uh, by a kind of immortalizing them in bronze it's, it's pretty evident that uh, I've, I've you know, nothing lasts forever, obviously, or, or in a manner of speaking, right? So, uh, the Everything Lasts Forever was a tongue-in-cheek com- uh, title, uh, but the work in the show, I mean, it had a lot of um, implications um, from political innuendo to um, environmental concerns, um, you know, discussing single-use objects within the, the shoes uh, in a weird way, like there's a shoe culture where you know, you might buy a shoe, wear it once, and, and then hang it on a wall and never wear it again. Or you just get rid of them, like the one that I cast in bronze, which was uh, somebody sold on eBay for $14, but the shoe when it originally came out was over 300 So it's, it's really funny, just like the destiny of objects. But also the beauty in, in, in changing the um, the material and the way you the, the public interacts with it. And actually, it's no longer used in the same fashion it's only used in a visual sense it's something you could enjoy visually and not you know wear out uh but you know i i i hope that people took more out of it than what was on the surface of that show i, I enjoyed the, the the way the gallery presented all of the work it was extremely elegant and um you know i hope that i don't know it's, it's a body of work that i want to continually investigate because i do love casserole you know, um, I grew up in a, not a small town, but I guess I'm from Flower Bluff, Texas. I don't know if you know, it's right out near between Padre Island and Corpus Christi. And I didn't go to a museum until I was, well, they didn't really have a museum until later, right before I left. It had a little small history museum and then later became what is now the Art Museum in South Texas. Um, so my museum career started in Los Angeles and I started with a history museum back in 1993. And uh, so my, you know, that kind of the history and the didactic and when they actually have this interpretation, um, it's kind of interesting to me because I, I love the presentations that are at Great Contemporary, but I really wanted and th- th- to have a, this conversation with you because having this history background, but also wanting to understand art, because I'm not an art historian, I'm, you know, and, and I really want to appreciate art and I'm, I, I do art marketing, so I really want to help people understand um, that's why I was really interested in chatting with you too, because the pieces were there and they were, it was a beautifully elegant presentation, but what I hungered for that, and that's why I called you too, is like, I wanted to know more about these amazing, the backstory of this, because I love and appreciate going to an art museum and being at its purest, which I think is done so well at Great Contemporary, where people just appreciate the art without having someone tell them about it. But I'm also this person that wants to be told because I want to, and then I can still interpret my own way and take it that way. It's kind of like the one piece that you know that I loved in the show is the lever soap. I think that, and I, I was like, oh, what's this soap? And then it, it had even more meaning now after COVID because it's like, oh, I really want that piece, right? <laughs> and and I think it you evolved. said, right? And I think there was another one too. You said you did a glass sculpture earlier that was, was it the Dove soap or? Um... Well, I, I did a Dove soap, yeah. There was, um, I did a Dove out of glass. And, um, you know, that was my first casting in glass. I worked with a really great um uh, I would say he's definitely a sculptor, but he's a, a, more than just a, he's one of those artists you can't kind of pigeonhole into saying you're a sculptor or you're a glass artist. He does it all, but uh, Weston Lambert, and he showed me how to cast glass and we cast this stuff. So, but it was initially because 
there's something that we're forgetting, especially somebody who came from a border uh, close to the U.S.-Mexican border, um, the, the terrible immigration laws that we have going on right now and the, the story that came out um, in that small town facility, that ICE facility, where they weren't allowing um, the basically prisoners um, any, any the immigrants any soap. So I felt like this is the Dove soap is being upside down too. So the the the, the peace the, the the peace symbol of the Dove is is kind of flipped upside down. Meant something to me there, but then it's evolved because you know as soon as that show ended, we got hit with the coronavirus. So the the soap, which kind of meant one thing, depending on how the viewer looks at it. I mean, some people look at it just as in a weird way. Soap, when you have it in a, in a material that doesn't degrade, it's a very elegant object. It's, you know, almost like an Ellsworth Kelly painting, very simple and, um, you know, geometric. But um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's taken on a new life because we've been washing our hands methodically since uh, March. I mean, those of us who were lucky enough to. And um, I don't know. The, the, yeah, the, I feel like my pieces always do that. You know, and I, and I feel like I've been lucky that way. And, and where my eyes and, and my art interests kind of start to align and what I want to make is uh, I remember doing a piece on toilet paper many, many years ago. And um, now, you know, I have friends reposting that when the whole country was having a toilet paper shortage. <laughs> it's just uh, weird how art, um, you know, you could explain it all you want, but it's going to change over time. Well, and I really appreciate that because I think that's what I really needed to hear for myself because, again, I kept thinking, oh, I want someone to tell me, then I can get my interpretation. But your work in particular has just made it for me to understand the fact that, again, it, it does change. It can change with your environment. It can change with your point of view. And then, again, meaning you have an intent when you're in creating it, but the intent has changed and evolved. And now we can have this whole new meaning. And, and how beautiful is that? So, again, I really learned a lot just by your show because of that and because of what's happened afterwards. And it shows the longevity of your work, which I think is really awesome, too. Thank you. And I, I, I feel like I learned that from having good mentors and, and good uh, professors and, and just people that artists, friends that I admire and, and seeing the, the successes in their work or some of the works that, you know, may, on surface level not seem – um, you know, to be striking at all on all the hot points, and then you find out over time, like, gosh, you know, they, they really had it. <laughs> you know, they really had an amazing idea and saw it to fruition. Because sometimes pieces are are beyond their time. I think, and uh, you know, I worked with Luis Jimenez, very amazing um, painter, sculptor, printmaker, uh, artist extraordinaire. You know, out of the Southwest area, he taught at University of Houston when I was an undergrad there, and um, I think that was one of his things he kind of challenged me with was like, uh, you know, finding what, 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 what motivates you to make work other than beauty, but never forget the formal um, kind of power of making an object because that's what makes it, it kind of transcends and goes beyond what we intended to be as a maker. And it also reaches people because you don't want to make work that's, that's completely uh, one-sided. So if you're trying to make a message that, that wants, like the piece I had on Heights Boulevard, I always thought was a really good example of something that, um, people look at of both sides of a political spectrum or of a worldview spectrum where they see something and um, they could get something out of it, even though my message is completely my own. So uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that piece, but it was a, a bench and it was a bench that was uh, cut in the shape of the United States. Pretty clear, plain as day. And I wasn't really hiding that shape at all. It was, very, it was a, a water jet cut clean as a whistle. And inside the, 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 the 
state or the country, uh, the shape of the country, it said, um, made for you and me. You know, the Woody Guthrie song, this land is your land, this land is my land, right? But um, on the southern border of that bench, which is what made it a bench because you can lean against this, is was a 12-foot-tall fence all made out of uh, square tubing. And, uh, you know, this is right on Heights Boulevard, a prominent area of Houston, Texas, and, um, you know, people from all political um, backgrounds and, and socioeconomic backgrounds run on that Heights Boulevard area. It doesn't matter um, your economic stance. I mean, that's a very popular spot to, to go and just enjoy the outdoors. Anyway, my point is, is that uh, I remember hearing people who were right-leaning human beings being like, oh, that's really cool. You know, because they, they see this made for you and me, and they just, they saw something that I did not intend, right? And then, you know, anybody who was, who was kind of empathetic and cautious to our border issues and our immigration issues in the country, um, they saw, the, you know, what was a fairly evident uh, monolithic uh, monstrosity and having this, this big overly done backing to this that was you know, implying to the separation between our, our you know, neighbors to the south. And um, anyway, and there's a lot of people who didn't see either one of those things. They saw a big old bench, and I would, if it wasn't a super sunny day, people would take a little load off between their runs. So you mentioned um, the Heights Boulevard project. That's the one with uh, that was, I think, uh, co-curated by a variety of people. But one in particular, we have a mutual friend, is Gus Capriva of Redbud Gallery. Is yeah. that okay? Yeah, Gus uh, uh, definitely involved in, in, in giving me that opportunity, but also was very supportive from an engineering standpoint. He actually uh, stanced my engineering drawing, um, which made the piece completely possible. But um, yeah, Gus is amazing, and that that's a, that's public art to. Uh, you know, doing pub- what public art should do is that is that project there. That's an annual project. I'm so glad it's funded, and that uh, it gets good support um, locally and evidently regionally because they're expanding beyond the, beyond the Houston borders. But it has some great artists. I mean, Joe Havel has done it. Sharon Capriva has done it. Paul Kittleson was one of the first artists there. Lee Littlefield. Um, you know, I actually, if I'm not mistaken, I think I was driving by and I actually helped uh, move a couple sculptures because it was just, I was living in that neighborhood at the time, renting in that neighborhood. And um, yeah, it was, it was a really fun thing that started in 2014. I'm so glad it's strong going. And I, at that time, I mean, that was, um, you know, I spent some uh, five years in San Antonio and I'd only been back in Houston for two years. And I was already eyeballing that space when I saw that Gus and uh, I think it's Chris Silkwood um, collaborated to make that happen for a, a high school or a project. And I was just, you know, fingers crossed I would be able to do it. So to be able to be an artist included before I moved um, and relocated uh, to Seattle was a really big honor. You mentioned San Antonio, and I recall you you did your MFA at the UT, University of Texas in San Antonio. And that's where we also had some mutual friends, too, in the art world. I, uh, Joseph Cohen, uh, Vincent Valdez, Ricky Armanderas, and probably others. What you you were there for your if your master's degree, but did you? I think you also did. You worked in public art there as well. Is that? Tell me a little bit about that. I did, yeah, and and yeah, I'm so it's, uh, Melissa. That's one of the great things about the art world. Is it, it, it makes the whole world smaller. It's, it's a very tight community in a way, and very open. And San Antonio was extremely open, and and um, um, you know, I was there for. A couple of years for grad school, where I, I got to uh, actually I was a TA for Ricky, uh, and you know while I was working I was working at Blue Star while in graduate school there, and that's where I met Vincent and um, uh, Vince Valdez. And um, when I got out of graduate school, I applied for a public art project uh, and didn't get it. But the um, 
the director of the program saw me at an opening and um, was like, hey, you know, I really liked your proposal. Um, sorry you didn't get it. Would you be interested in a job? So that was my intro to uh, becoming a, a public art administrator. Uh, I ended up applying for that job uh, that he talked about and got hired and um, has been doing it basically ever since. And then that's when you went as the, we were the public art program director and then curator for Houston Airports and, of course, now uh, senior manager. Yeah, is it... we, we met when I was handling the, um, yeah, the, the Houston Airport system. Definitely the power couple because your wife is an artist and also an amazing writer, um, uh, writer for the arts. And and I, I don't know what others. I just know her work uh, writing about the arts. And your daughter is very talented. Clementine, oh, my God. <laughs> Talk a li- tell me a little bit about, we do, let's talk, I want to segue real quick because I was looking in, on Facebook and I saw that you were inspired to make this uh, work of art that was a an ordinary object that's definitely on everyone's mind right now, which is dealing with the United States Postal Service. So talk a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it, it is, this is a tough dilemma. I, I know that you're going to have a lot of artists listening to this and they're going to um, uh, connect, I believe, with, with my conundrum. Is, um, if, you're, if you're being socially responsible and caring about everybody around you, you're trying to social distance and quarantine as much as possible. And we are, uh, Casey is a, anybody who's met us, she's the brains in the family. She's brilliant. She's a great writer, great painter. Uh, and we're both, you know, trying to stay creative and we have a little one here who is also just you know she's seven years old and she's living in one of the most beautiful places in the world you know, right next to lake or not right next to lake washington but we're you know a nice little hike away from lake washington so it's hard to enjoy the outdoors to a certain degree it's hard she's made every kind of art project you could think of inside our little a little 900 square foot place where we're living in seattle um and uh, i lost my studio um through to some developers took uh, over the studio I was at, so it's just been a it's been a nightmare for us to try to stay creative. I shouldn't say a nightmare, but it's been difficult. And um, um, so Casey's finding her ways to do it. Clementine's finding hers, and I, her, uh, her and I together were driving and um, um, driving back from my. I have an office uh, through the port of Seattle at Pier 69, and we were driving back, and I saw a um, USPS. Um, postal box and I was just like I told Clementine in the back seat I was like hey we're going to make a stop and I knew a few blocks over was a Lowe's we pulled over to Lowe's and I bought some hardware just did the math in my my mind and I was like I think this will work I spent $70 in lumber and, and yeah and I built the I was kind of very it was just a great inch to scratch because I needed to make something I've been not, I've been making small works in our little place but it wasn't really scratching that itch so I think that um, because I'm very much worried about our democracy and the, uh, the the fate of our kind of election coming up and just also the safety of human beings being able to vote by mail. We do it here in Washington state. It's extremely efficient and, and very, very convenient. I feel uh, it's like a safe thing and it, it, it works. I hope everybody gets to do it. And if we do preserve our postal service, we should be able to do it. So this idea obviously generated from that. I saw it on the street and I really just had to make something and I made that. And now it's turned into a little thing where the little kiddo, um, I think it has to be having a painter for a mother, but uh, she did an amazing underpainting, which she calls it the underpaint. So she painted it blue with a, a little um, gallon of blue paint we had laying around, which actually looks really good. It's like one of the more classic uh, USPS blues, not the dark blue that we see today, but it still looks great. Or it looks like it's been weathered. And uh, we're letting her friends in the neighborhood just uh, kind of tag it and work on it. And 
um, anyway, it, it, I'm glad that you saw it. I'm really, it, it, it's cathartic in a way to have made it, but also posted. And, and, um, and, you know, I didn't intend it to be artwork, but I think it, or I shouldn't say artwork, but I think it actually might be a piece that I'm, I'll be proud to say I made, uh, especially during this era. Like you and I, and not to segue again, but we're, we both have uh, some good, um, some hair farming going on. And I think that's another, that's another record of We time, should talk right? about course, that. <laughs> I don't know if you want to segue to that. Let's but I'm do. Unhappy. Let's do. Okay. Let me just first of all say you have a head of hair. <laughs> oh yeah. I I, I work. Uh, I swear I get like some um, some negative vibes from some of my male coworkers, and I talk to some other friends at work, and they're like, "Well, it's because they're all bald, and you got this giant head of hair <laughs> on every Zoom and <laughs> Microsoft Teams meeting we're doing." So I was like, I don't, it's not my fault. And the reason it's growing is I, I think I told you is my mom's a hairdresser and she was, uh, she's been the only one really to cut my hair. I've had one other haircut from an uncle, like when I was two maybe. But other than that, the only person to ever touch my head is, um, well, aside from Casey shaving it, which she wants to do so badly. Um, <laughs> and I keep telling her to leave it alone, just let it grow until I can see my mom again. And that'll be the time I get cut. But uh, yeah, it's growing. It's like a helmet. I could jump off our roof and probably be fine. No, it's a great head of hair. And, you know, I, my head of hair has defined me in so many ways and so over the years and I've been hesitant to move from that honey gold blonde that I was born with that I eventually started toying with in my late 30s and 40s as I was transitioning and I knew that I was at the time my hair was not changing like my mother my mother has a beautiful head of white hair her hair is beautiful and my sister has beautiful salt and pepper it's more silver and mine just wasn't there and I tried to do it last year and then like you when this COVID happened and the quarantining I it became defining for me to just let it go and in fact I kept saying I'm not going to cut it until this is over and you know it's blending nicely I I said I'm going to be a silver and gold hippie by the time this is over it'll have the gold roots and have the silver you know so I'll be gold ends and the silver roots and um I'm, you know, I'm kind of, it's, it's, it's important. It's a, it's a time keeper or record of what's happening as well. And it, and it's also kind of depicts what I'm going through in terms of change. Like we all are, we're all going through so much growth during this time. I love that your mom's a hairdresser. I think that's awesome too. So I hope that you get to see your mom soon, safely, and whenever. I'm sure Casey is hoping you'll see her soon because you can get your hair cut. <laughs> well, I like it, and I love yours. I mean, I think that there's there's a natural look that you're going with. You had, I think, you were strawberry blonde when I met you. Yeah. And, uh, um, but yeah, the, I mean, it's, let it grow. Let it grow, and let it let it let's see what kind of silver streaks you get. Because I'm I'm definitely owning mine. Mine I've. I'm definitely more silver than I am dark haired now. So, but you know, it's, this is the era. Let it, uh, let it be a record of time. No, I, I think that's really, really exciting. Um, we also had uh, some connections. Um, so when you moved to Seattle, we continued getting to know each other via email and phone. And I think you actually came, you and Casey and Clementine came to LA when I was uh, producing a couple of private collector events for Art News Magazine in conjunction with the launch of Freeze in Los Angeles. And that was in February, 2019. Um, and then I, I, 
you know, I think at that point, I didn't realize, and I don't know if you define yourself, your identity as Chicano, but I didn't know your heritage. And I think that's when I finally went, oh, um, Tommy Gregory, it just was not the name that I felt like I, that I, and that sounds really bad from this white girl here, but I just didn't know your, what you, who you identified or what you, what you considered your identity. And it, because of that event, you got to meet Cheech and because, you know, and that's how it all kind of the conversation started. So I'll stop there and talk to you about identity. Well, you know, I, I identify as a, I'm a, I'm a mixed race. Um, individual and uh, I've always kind of like been kind of proud like you know, not pride, probably not the right word but half Irish half Mexican I feel like there's a lot of um, similarities between those two cultures uh, more than people would probably uh, connect on the surface but um, yeah and I mean I've, I was raised in a you know Chicano was a word that you know um, I think that from a revolution uh, during a more revolutionary time was, was a word that was used so in, in the eight, late 80s when I was kind of I, you know, understanding what where I, I kind of sat as a as a mixed race person, uh, I think that that term kind of was coming in and out in Texas, right? Somebody uh, did a good marketing program and started dubbing everybody Hispanic and having a chick Hispanic on uh, on your um, um, you know school sheets and such. But um, no, I mean, I've, I've, I'm proud to be uh, um, you know kind of a, a biracial person and, and connect to the multicultural. Um, um, you know, sides of this country. And uh, the work is a little bit inspired by that. But um, I mean, to be able to go to Cheech's house is like going to Mecca in a way for an art person. You know, you go to a place <laughs> where he's got uh, from the, the De La Torre brothers who thankfully, you know, through you, I met them and became very familiar with their work. Uh, I knew their work before, but became even more engrossing. As a matter of fact, like we're, uh, we, we saw each other because of another um, a connection you made with us with Elena Del Rio um, I saw the brothers, what, maybe three weeks ago here in Seattle. It was, it was a fantastic hangout. I want to say it was probably the first hangout uh, or artist face-to-face interaction I've had um, since we all went on lockdown. So it was it was just an emotional time for me to be able to talk art. Um, Casey was with us too, and it was really fun to be able to talk to them. But yeah, it's because of you. I, I, I really got to thank you for those, those uh, having this strong network and sharing it and connecting people um, you know, you're, you're, uh, there's no way that I'm the first person to tell you that. And I won't be the last, but you're like just awesome at, at, um, you know, kind of well melding these, these communities together and letting us know we're all here together and working, trying to, to, you know, elevate the art world in the way that I guess the world perceives work in the United States in this, uh, millennia, what is it? What, what era are we in now? Uh, who knows what we're going to, this era is going to be known as, but, um, I think it's good that we have people like you, Cheech, the De La Torre brothers, uh, all of our networks in Texas, um, kind of all getting to know each other and getting to know each other's work. It's a fun, odd time. Well, it's interesting because I actually started my career in what was termed as Hispanic marketing in Texas. Um, <laughs> and when I when I finally moved to Los Angeles uh, years later, people kept saying, how are you, like, how'd you get involved with the Chicano community? And for me, I felt it was, it was a community that felt um, most uh, connected to me as being a Texan. Because in Texas, you take the German immigrant 
history and the Mexican immigrant history, and then you shake it all up, it be, that's Texas, and that's being Texan. And it's a little bit, you know, there's so much of this, again, this melding, again, of these communities, if you will. And um, when I later met Cheech through Richard Duardo, may he rest in peace, a great, wonderful master printer and artist himself, but uh, I did a program project with them, and Cheech, def at that very big gathering at Plaza de la Raza in L.A., uh, sanctioned me as an honorary Chicana, so at least I have, somebody gave me that, So, but I, I, I still am a white girl from Texas, but I really appreciate and support the community and working in this world, so it's it's a, it's a good thing for me, and I really appreciate it, and I'm grateful for that. Um, no, it's all, well, you know, it's weird. I think that that's the art, the art world is like the great equalizer. It's like, did you ever ride a motorcycle, or have, did you ever have a motorcycle? Yes, my father made cars and motorcycle stuff, so I am they, definitely. You know how there there's a culture there where like. Um, at least for me, like at least when you're on it. I, I remember when I was in graduate school, I was lucky to have one because my, my dad had a, I don't know if he listens to this, he'll get mad, but uh, by saying midlife crisis, but he bought himself, he always rode bikes. But he, when he, when he got a little older, he bought himself a little sport bike. And uh, my mom was like, take this to San Antonio with you. Cause he was in Houston and he kept like hurting himself on it. So I basically stole his motorcycle and rode it while I was in graduate school. <laughs> And, uh, but, but, but driving between, you know, Houston and, and San Antonio, and then our, we had my folks, uh, a little family farm in Bastrop, I'd be driving on the road, you know, small town, Texas highways. And, um, you get the wave, you know what I mean? So like, yeah. you, you know, as the motor, you're, you're a motorcycle on the other side of the one way three ray, I'm on the other. And they just give you a nice little, nice little wave. And it's like, it, it's like the art world to me. It's like where you, you're a part of a club and it doesn't matter if you're Hispanic, Mexican, that's Ch Chicano, white black it doesn't matter because we're all like in this in this thing together it's kind of like i wish the rest of the world would be like professions shouldn't really be the things to dictate that because in reality artists are you know we're, we're also um i think we become connected not only to our peers but also our collectors and people that we that, that you know show us support and, and help guide our careers as well from curators to um public art administrators i mean we, we we're like we we collect these 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 networks of people and we try to foster them and it's it's, there's a very human thing that happens when um, the creative, um, you know, I guess the creative economies and um, uh, people interested in the creative field start to work together and and, and live life together and, and become, um, you know, kind of in, in tune with, you know, like social media as much as I think it's extremely problematic in a lot of ways. It, it's opened the door to people to get, like, you know, to see my daughter and, yeah, you know, I have collectors who are like, God, it's so fun to see her grow up. I, I met her when I bought this piece of yours in 2014, and she was just a baby. You know what I mean? And uh, I don't know. There's something about that where I'm, I'm hoping that I don't know. There's there's the power of art from our, our earlier discussion talking about public art and how it's needed right now because of the the quarantine and COVID 19, but also just a uh, you know these kind of networks that we've made together and that we're going to, I'm sure foster for years to come. Uh, I just hope they, they kind of, the kind of vibe spreads and we get to, we'll do shows together and um, see our hair grow together. That'll be fun. <laughs> we'll have to definitely have our uh, before and after photos of you. You do yours, I'll do mine and we'll post them together at the end of this. Cause there, there's going well, to be an yeah, insight. Well, 
<laughs> we'll have to. You do. You. I sent you one, so yes. you show yours, and then when we get, uh, hopefully, we'll have some kind of treatment or vaccine, and we could have that that picture together in person. I would love that. I would love that. Well, I think this has been an amazing conversation, and and it's one of these things that you and I we talked about the other day. We could talk. Uh, just on and on because there's just so much so many things that I think we enjoy and uh, enjoy your family and and of course all the connections we've had together one last thing before we wrap up today I was just uh, curious do you have do you have an update um, an upcoming show or project that you're proud of that you'd like to talk about is there anything coming up that we should know well I'm very proud to say I've been accepted uh, for a residency at Pilchuck Glass School and uh, that again, I have to give you a little kudos there because uh, it was a connection made through the brothers who you helped foster there, and then um, through uh, Ben Wright, who's uh, exhibit. What is he there? His title. He, he's either a director or exhibits director there, but uh, he invited me to be a, an artist in residence. And because of the coronavirus, it was um, postponed until 2021. So um, it's supposed to happen this summer. But I'm still excited at that. That's something, you know, just from a, from a living in the Pacific Northwest to be at Pilchuck is to me the, the creme de la creme. It's the top of the top of the top. And I'm just so happy to I visited the school before the coronavirus happened. So I was able to go see what the facilities were like. And I guarantee I'm going to make some amazing things there. I look forward to working with the specialists they have and getting to know artists and other artists and residents. But um, yeah, that's that's still in the books. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I'm currently in a show in Houston right now, Melissa, at, um, at, at Gray. I mean, uh, they recently um, started representing my work in the Houston market, and um, um, I'm in their Black Lives Matter show, which is simply titled uh, Matter. And oh. that's up until the end of the month, I believe. I'll, I'll be sure and put all that in the into the promotional materials and stuff and share it. I'll put links. Uh, your website is TommyGregory.com? Yeah, and it's kind of I'm I'm a luddite, so it's been abandoned uh, for a little years. Uh, they have, I think, the, the only work on there is uh, my my confessional <laughs> that I showed at Redbud, and then a, a neon piece I showed at the Williams Tower. But um, the, um, Instagram handles pretty good. It, you know, I kind of try to stay on top of things there. Um, I think the Instagram is Tommy Gregory T X W A or W A T X. It's Texas or Washington. I'm a dual resident in a way. I'll add I'll add it to the to the site here, but um, oh, thank you, Tommy. This has been really great. Again, I, I hope this is um, I, I know it's a continuation of a of a long friendship and working relationship as well. So I'm really grateful. Um, yeah, so. well, thank thanks for doing this too. This is this is a you know from Casey as an arts writer has seen this kind of um, a little bit of lull in the creative um, information that we could digest from far as in print or uh, web-based media for art and um, I'm hoping that you know stuff like what you're doing I hope you continue to do this because I've, I've got that that need I want to hear what my other uh, art buddies are up to so please uh, keep doing this Melissa I'm excited to talk to you and excited to, to hear more well thank you so much and we'll be in touch this is Melissa Richardson Banks and I'm closing out today this is Muse LA to you Thank you.